Okay, welcome to part two of my conversation with the hilarious writer-directress, Janixa Bravo. Whoa, things are so insane that brats are, like, supporting, like, BLM. And I thought he was joking. I thought that, like, he had made it up. He had posted it on his Finsta. And then I went looking for it, (laughs) found it, and I was like, holy shit. And then I was like, what's Barbie got to say? And Barbie was saying nothing. And I was just like, no! Tell don't got nothing to say right now. Barbie is not showing up to the fucking protest. And Bratz Nation. Barbie was silent on these issues. In this second part of our two part conversation, we jump into Hollywood Demons, her highly anticipated film Zola, and what the hell Bratz Nation is. Okay, my favorite, you had a post on Instagram the other day where you were like, I'm in the mood to talk about demons. Black ones, white ones, red ones, green ones. I believe <laughs> I might be misquoting you. Um, what the my, One of my favorite memories is being on set uh, for your episode of Dear White People and you telling me a story, particularly about a black demon. Um, and, it, and it, you know, one of the things that I struggle with <laughs> is, um, we none of them will be named on this podcast, but... Um, what I struggle with is that, yes, it is much harder for black people than it is for white people to survive in Hollywood. But the black demons, though, mm. they don't do, they do really well. <laughs> and what's fucked up about that is the realization that there are black demons. So how would you how would you define a demon uh, as you as you put it? Oh, a demon is um, someone uh, they're reptilian. They're, uh, and not to offend reptiles, as I am a lover of animals, but they are, <laughs> they're reptilian, you know, they're, they're, the, their skin is cold, uh, the insides are made of ice, and they're people who underestimate you. There are people who believe that the dynamic will always be the same, and that is to say, like, you will always be a beta to their alpha, so that they'll treat you however they see fit, which is generally cold Mm. and heartless and just like low, because you're always going to be exactly where you are. Like in there, in the demon brain, like there's no room for you to advance. You can't scale up because if you scale up, then it's like, oh, shit's fucked. And what's so funny about this moment, you know, this moment where everyone's like, this person was a monster to me and we're writing and, you know, people are being canceled or like leaving, you know, magazine positions or whatever, um, Mm -hmm. is that, there's so many. I mean, I've literally been like for the last week, like going through my own ghosts of people who had been quite awful to me. And now I'm in a place where I feel like I'm, I can laugh at it. Right. But I am reminded of how, how much it had really, I mean, I, I think it traumatized me. And I think it's mm-hmm. some of like, Whatever my issues are that I still deal with in work are completely were were created by these people, like by people who I used to also be a costume designer. So like I have worked below the line and have had people talk to me like I am a garbage person and not that you should talk to your garbage people poorly. You know what I mean? (laughs) We should talk to our people kindly. It is a great service. With respect. With respect. It is a great service, what they do for us. Um, But, you know, like the help, basically. Like treated like I was the help and or like, you know, a gypsy or something. Whatever is the bottom in their eyes. And and some of these people are people that now write me saying like, I always believed in you or like, what are you working on? I'm so curious. And it is demonic. I mean, it also makes Mm -hmm. you feel insane because you're like, 
but I remember. Yes. I, I, don't, I don't remember how you treated me, Master Jim. You know. <laughs> well, well it also it also makes you sort of constantly. At least what it does to me is I'm constantly sort of making excuses for the behavior, the way I was talked to, because you know it's rude to notice that you notice a demon, especially when they are very <laughs> powerful, uh, when they're very charming, when their public persona perhaps. Um, is also beloved, uh, you know, I, I'm just curious, like, uh, how do you, when, when you, so when you to hear that, like about you, I just, to me, you're, I, I just can't imagine somebody treating you that way. I am disgusted and, and want oh, their honey. I can mail them a roach. Oh, they're all out. They, no, no need it. No, no, no roach mailing needed. I actually prefer them not to know that I can see them. What is okay. your, what is your, you know what I mean? Because like, you know, it's like it's I feel like I'm referencing some sci fi or horror movie. I don't actually remember. Uh, maybe I'm just imagining it. But like, I feel like maybe there was like a Goosebumps or an Are You Afraid of the Dark where like this little white girl puts on these glasses and she can see aliens everywhere. But as long as she pretends that she can't see them, like they leave her alone. So that's sort of I have a, an internal. I have like an internal thing that's like, oh, this I'm in the presence of one of them. And I cannot let them know that I am in their presence and that I know that because I just, I just, I'm keeping this information to myself and, and to people that I very much trust. What is your, what is your technique? Like, do you try to stay in the orbit to slingshot elsewhere? Do you, you, you know, get them out of your life as soon as possible? Um, I don't think people, I think people really underestimate the sheer amount of demons that are in Hollywood. <laughs> Oh, I just, I disengage. I truly, I disengage. I just can't. I, I'm not strong enough, ultimately, you know, um, because I, I think the theater kid in me is always going to want to make people happy, even if I like, can't like, I, I'll, I'll do the rehearsal of like, oh, and when I see them, this is how that's going to go. And then I mm -hmm. see them and I'm like, hey, how are you? How's your family? Hey. Yeah. And I'm just like, what? Do you because need me I'm to house it? <laughs> yeah, I'm a people pleaser. I just am. I'm a people pleaser. You know, I, I am like a theater nerd in that way. So like, I just, I've done a really tight edit. And I think we talked about this on your set. Actually, I do remember having, I have a vague memory of talking to you about like, I was somewhere early in my tight edit, where I just had like, cut <laughs> a lot of people out. And I think that for those who I had cut out, it might've felt a little harsh or a little aggressive, but it was for my own sustenance, you know, otherwise I wasn't going to make it. Like I just had mm. to, I had to, I had to remove them. And, and there are a variety of ways maybe to do that that are more elegant. And for me, I just was like, I just stopped engaging. Like I didn't, ex they didn't exist to me. It's like that, that is no longer, mm that doesn't serve me. I don't need that. And, and the truth is, is I only, my orbit is people whose corner I am in, whose corner, who are also in mine, you know, it's like, you got to be in my corner and I got to be in yours. And if that's not what's happening here, then there is no room for you. For me, it's mm. just like, you got to go because so much of our business is engaging with, you know, like these fucking reptiles. So mm. it's like, in mm. terms of like the, like the, the small, like ecosystem that you build for yourself, like it, it just, it can't have any reptiles. And if there's any of that, they got to go. Yeah. 
I think that's really brave. You're a brave person to me. Um, and, and also very smart advice. Now, one of the things that you said in that Instagram post that I'm referencing, um, or you noted is that demons come in all colors, shapes and sizes. They do. They do. Absolutely. I, 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 you know, one of my color. No, go ahead. ahead. No, you do it. You do it. Oh, I was just curious, like what color, um, what, you know, in what color form do they frighten you the most? <laughs> I think when they look like me. Right. That's the hardest. <laughs> because I don't expect, I I just expect less from white people, right? Like to be blonde. I just, I do. I expect less from white people. So when a white person presents themselves as, you know, not demonic, I'm like, Oh, well, happy day. And by the way, I have found, you know, you have a white partner. I have a white partner. I have had white partners. I don't dislike white people. Like, I just want to like make that clear. <laughs> I work with a lot of white actors. Like, what? They're not like, all the, a lot of white not, actors who are, by the way, fantastic in Lemon, I have to say. <laughs> the, and not, uh, there is a demon in Lemon, but none of the ones that you love are demons. Um, there's one demon in that movie for sure. Um, oh, I, uh, I know who it is. <laughs> I know exactly who it is. There's a demon in that movie. Um, but I'm aware. <laughs> who are you? Um, uh-huh. Oh, I just yeah, I told I told that actor the act the story of the actor who put their fist in my stomach. That that was a white demon, a little one. Mm. Um, wow. uh, <laughs> but I I think it's it's the most heartbreaking when they look like you, you know. Yeah. And there there was actually somebody from my from my past who. Um, had stolen money from me um, on this job wow. that I wow. worked on, and and they're a person who you know still very much works in Hollywood, and um, I had been convinced that like I, I needed to just put my mo- own money in, and then they would pay me back, and it was like something I was costuming, and I put in all this money, and then not only did I not get that money back, then I didn't get paid, I didn't get paid, and then my assistant can get paid, and um, and then this string of emails about how. I was, uh, you know, a fucking idiot and that I just like, it was so nasty. And that person looks like me. And so I hadn't seen them for years and years and years. And then actually at the premiere of lemon in LA, the downtown premiere at the ACE hotel, uh, it was part of this like summer Sundance next festival. Um, we ended up getting like the, the Magnolia who had released my movie, like got this little small space for us to have like our own party in, in addendum to like the larger Sundance party. And I saw them there. They like mm. tapped my shoulder. And when I turned around, I was like, I felt like my eyes turned black. Uh, that was, that, that's the day we, that we met at Sundance, right? That was, you're talking about me. Yes, that was you. Yeah, that that demon that I met that made my eyes turn black was you. Um, just and tell, just tell them, Janixa. <laughs> no, you've been nothing but generous and lovely to me. Um, but they were there, and they said something to the effect of like, "I always believed in you." And oh, God. And I got nauseous. I got so nauseous. And I, I, I think I just said thank you, and then walked away because like I didn't know how to retaliate. Like. I wish I had that, by the way. I wish I had the ability to, like, behave in so gross a manner and then, like, have the audacity to show face later. I wish I had that. Well, you know what? I want to say something. They they look magical because they can do that. They don't have shame. But they could never direct something like Lemon. Um, 
you have something because you can feel like empathy and stuff and shame and like you care about people's feelings. You have something, <laughs> you have something as a filmmaker that they, they'll never have. Um, and I just want to make sure you know that because it really comes through in your work. And uh, I, I'm, I'm not just a fan, like you really inspire me. And even though I had already seen Lemon watching it again, just made me like, Man, fuck these people. <laughs> like, if Janixa can do it, so can I. Um, okay, so I mean, look. That's how I feel about you, and you know that. I've already, you know, like, puffed your feathers. Is that the term? Is that the term? I, I don't know I, the term. It, I think it should be. I think everything I you like should it. say. I think everything <laughs> you say should be the term. Okay, so let's let's take a question from um, our culture machiners, or culture machines. Yes. I don't know why I keep adding to it, uh, from the internet. Um, Brendan, what they got for us? Goldilocks says... Uh, first of all, she loves you. And then she asked you to please discuss the Bratz Revolution. Oh, Bratz Nation. Um, so Bratz Nation, honestly, like we're living in a Bratz Nation, like, duh, obviously. Uh, <laughs> I I mean, I, it's pretty simple in that I think like there was a degree of, and it might still be happening, um, a kind of performance around protest, right? Like, this is why I started talking about demons, because I saw some people that I knew to be truly demonic spirits, suddenly being like, Black Lives Matter, to which I was like, should I send you that email where you called me stupid? Um, Mm. (laughs) Should I send you the email where you ask the question of like, I don't know how you got this job or why you're even doing it. Like, you know, just, and, and by the way, not that those two things are related, but it's just this idea of like, that you wouldn't be able to connect like, huh, perhaps I have treated this person in this way because of my own isms, my own, own you know, and like maybe if I look at myself. And so I was sort of like making this comment on like how people are kind of like performing performing their way through this moment in some kind of protest, but might not be exactly aligned with how they behave and how they treat people, right? Um, My Bratz Nation or Bratz Revolution was purely that a friend, a friend had posted um, Bratz, like the dolls. Do you know Bratz? They're like slutty dolls. They're slutty dolls. I know them. I'm Um, aware of them. And they're like, and they're like vaguely ethnic, but you're not sure like what you're, what they're saying. Yeah, exactly. I don't know what the culture is, but they're like a little bit, like not exactly white. I mean, like some of them are white for sure, but like they're like they a look many- augmented white. Like there's a Kardashian <laughs> vibe. <laughs> there are fox eyes. They do have fox eyes. So you're right. There is an augmented <laughs> vibe. And um, I, my, so my friend had posted, basically he was just like, whoa, things are so insane that brats are like supporting like BLM. And I thought he was joking. I thought that like he had made it up. He had posted it on his Finsta. And then I went looking for it, <laughs> found it, and I was like, holy shit. And then I was like, what's Barbie got to say? And Barbie was saying nothing. And I was just like, no. Tell don't got nothing to say right now. Barbie is not showing up to the fucking protest. And Bratz Nation. Barbie was silent like, on these issues? I think she came around like 24 to 36 hours later. Um, wow. It's kind of like, you know, if you look at when all of the streamers said something it's like who's first and who's last it's like people Mm -hmm. are like oh god get the publicist so we can write the thing how do we feel about black people um somebody write it Uh, (laughs) and then you know you you have you've got 
you know, you've got the seat at the table, you've got the foot in the door, but you're not being actually given the same tools to succeed as your white counterparts. Absolutely. You know? Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> and it's not a part of the conversation because also we're just supposed to be grateful that we were just invited. Yeah, because this is also an unprecedented time where the yous and the me's get to make things. And, you know, I don't ever want to take that for granted, but um, I just really love that you call out the bullshit no matter what. Uh, okay, so that's great. Let's talk about a little bit about your VR film, and then we'll talk a little bit about Zola, and then I will let you get back to your life. Okay, um, <laughs> but you did, you made a VR film on police brutality um, called Hard World for Small Things, and I, I just wanted you to talk a little bit about what that is and, and what you were inspired by. Oh, yeah, hey, man. Um, yo, I read, I read that book, the one you gave me. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Man. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad, man. I'm glad you left. You chose Paris. But you know the part that really had me, though? Uh -huh. When they talk about when, when people see us what they see, you know? Like, it's not even really like a visual. It's more like they're seeing how we're being described, like how we're defined. You know, the pain, struggle, and danger, and death. You know what I'm saying? Like, I do. They see hell. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I, so... You know, I don't. Are people even talking about VR anymore? I don't even know. Do you, Do you remember that moment where it was like, "This is it. We're now living in a VR nation." Like, yes, <laughs> I like everything was going to be VR, and like, I don't know. I'm sure people pitched you on shit, and then you would watch it and think like, "Oh, is that how we're watching stuff now?" Like, I'm so nauseous. I'm never going to watch something like this at home. By the way, though, and I still believe this. I still think that like porn is a great space for vr like i mm. bet that I, I have never seen a porn in that space but i think it's same hot because but i get it yeah i i, I get the uh, application there yeah also because like i don't think you're ever in the porn if you are seeking out porn to watch whatever your search words are i don't think you're like looking for like film filmmaking you know you're not like <laughs> oh, photography of this to be a certain way because you're really just like i need this to go in there and i need it to be like that and i want like this and i want a face or no face like what you're looking for is so base so i really do think that like vr and porn totally i bet that's like a very successful thing okay so that's like my pitch on that um <laughs> i I've been approached to make a VR movie when it was like very hot to make VR and not, not to make a movie, just to make something in that space. And, um, I kind of resisted it, but at the same time, you know, it's like I was trying to get my own work made and put out there and it's not like people were like begging me to do shit. So I also thought, am I really going to say no to this? And mm -hmm. Um, one of uh, one of my fellow filmmakers who is a white guy actually on this job, I'm just reminded, um, I do, for anyone who is listening out there, I think if you can tell your fellow friends how much money you're making or how much money you have, it is really helpful. Um, oh I, my God. Do you know what I'm talking about? I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Well, but did I say that well? I don't know if I did. You said it perfectly, and I'm just going to pause you to talk about myself for a second because, um, you know, it's a podcast, so I don't have to be, like, proper about these things. Yeah. But, like, 
I the most revelatory conversation I ever had was with um, Charlie McDowell on our on the set of Dear White People, who I love and adore, and I just think is a fantastic, probably underrated filmmaker. Um, but we were having a conversation, and, and he was just very casually telling me what he had made directing television since both of our films debuted at Sundance in the same year. And I realized that for directing on other people's shows, he had made like substantially more money that I made having created and, and run a show, you know, ran a show uh, for two years. And um, it was very fucking helpful. It was like a, Oh, okay. So I keep forgetting. I'm treated differently. I forgot for a second. Anyway, I mean, continue. so helpful. And I know like, obviously talking about money can be a little bit, you know, uncomfortable and gauche and like not how we were raised. Um, exactly. but, but if, if you, if you find yourself being able to, I just, I was so very lucky because so a handful of people that I knew were making VR films for this particular company. And one of them was a friend of mine. In fact, he was like my first boyfriend. And, um, and I was complaining about, I was just complaining, you know, we complain about making things. So I was just like complaining. Mm. And then um, what it was, it, I wasn't going to ask him how much money he had or how much he was getting paid, but like whatever my complaint was, it was clear that that's what it was. And he was just like, how much money are you making? Like, how much are they giving you? So I was directing a film that has, I think 10 actors in it. it it's, we had a one day shoot and I had like 30 or $35,000 to make it. He was directing a two person film with uh, two days to shoot and had a hundred thousand dollar budget. Oh and, God. um, and that, that doesn't even like include whatever he was getting paid. You know, like, I think I was using some of my pay to put it back into the budget and, oh my God. Um, and it was insane. And what was kind of wild, just as a sidebar, like both of our films kind of end up doing like a festival tour after. And, and my film had, done really well for this company. You know, it like it won them some awards and it played at a lot of places. And I was just kind of like, and and they gave me so much less to be able to arrive at the same level as my counterparts. But I had mm. had like a third of their budget to do the same, you know? Um, anyways, that was not the question you asked. The idea for the film, it is about- It was good though. It was a good uh, answer. Good, good. Um, it is um, a day in the life of a man leading up to the moment where he is um, um, attacked by a, a police officer. And it was inspired by, uh, in I think it's in 99 or 98, a cousin of mine was asphyxiated by the cops in a case of mistaken identity. And, oh, I'm so sorry. Um, wow. And I hadn't really thought about it that much until about, I don't know how many years ago, there were what seemed to be, you know, the moment we're in right now that seems fresh and new to some people because racism is only what, 16 days old now or seven? It's just a couple of weeks. Yeah, it's just a few yeah. weeks. But for some of us who had met racism before this moment, um, mm -hmm. there had been what felt like, I, I, can't, I honestly don't remember the year, but in that year, there is like, Ferguson and somewhere around there, there's like, they're just like all of these people, all of these mostly right. men, but, but also women, people who'd been shot by the cops who were mostly unarmed. And, um, and then it came to, it just kind of like came to me and I ended up, 
I looked him up. It was so long ago, but I just looked him up to see how he'd been written about. And I found two articles, one in the Daily News and I think one in the New York Post. And 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 the way he was written about told no story about who he was. It just was like mm. kind of very cold. It was like case of mistaken identity, he resisted, then he was asphyxiated. And it was just so like, he, it felt disembodied, you know? And mm. I, I guess I wanted to... I, I wish I'd been able to shoot the flat form of this film because I think it would have been more, I would, I would have felt at least more satisfied with like the thing I was trying to do, but I, I it does do it. I, if I ever make a VR film in the future, I will like ask someone to let me do it in flat and circle form. Um, but mm. the, the point was, is that I wanted to give a little bit more texture to who the person was. I basically didn't want their life to just be the thing that is written about them in the paper that is devoid of the color that is devoid of like their neighborhood, their, their people, their family, how we saw them, you know, that it has like no blood coursing through its veins. And I just want, and it, it is just, um, it is kind of a, what's the word I'm looking for? It's, um, it isn't a full piece. It's more just a moment, you know, it's a breath, but, mm. um, yeah, it was kind of like my offering to this thing that I didn't really know what to what to say to or how to talk about. And um, and and this is also like related to when I started editing people for my life, most of whom were white, because I, I'm sure you've gotten lots of like texts that are, you know, meant well-intentioned, <laughs> well-intentioned that, that just feel like exhausting and homework and just like, I don't want this. Um, and I, I still have a list going of people I need to respond to. Um, but I just, I was like, <laughs> oh, sis, please, I can't. Um, but I got them then. Um, there was like, you know, there's a black man on the cover of Time magazine running in a field who's being shot at. And people were saying sorry to me. And people were saying sorry to me about Ferguson and saying sorry to me about Trayvon Martin and saying sorry to me about Philando Castile. And all these people were white people. And I was like, oh, you're, you're sorry. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You think this is my problem. Um, but your yeah your sorrow is not my problem yeah and then i was like i gotta go like i don't need people i don't need people telling me they're sorry about racism like i need people working on it you know and um, like i i just can't like racism isn't a black issue um anyways that is a tangent um so uh yeah that that was what that piece was it was an offering in that space and it was in some way i guess me revisiting my own kind of feelings around my cousin who I was too young to really be interested in. Cause he wasn't my age. You know, he was like uh, 10, 10, 15 years older than me. I mean, I, I remember him and I loved him and I cared for him, but like I was a young person who was self, I was in high school. So I was like, I care about people who are my age. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so it was my own kind of revisiting of uh, how do you memorialize just like a moment in someone's life so that they're more than the event. Well, I think it's very interesting and it speaks to you as an artist that you were able to put maybe people who never thought about it or never thought about the implications literally in the shoes of, you know, a person in the midst of a black experience. But then you're also able to focus your gaze outward onto white people and whiteness and the ways in which it gets away with functioning. And I just think that that's really, really cool. And I hope more people give you your flowers for that. Um, 
So let's 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 shift to Zola because yes. uh, literally, like in Sundance, all anyone was talking about was Zola. This was like a hot, hot movie. Um, I felt like there was such energy and love for the movie uh, there in the dance. I, Very you know, obviously- different than Lemon. <laughs> <laughs> it was really different. I, I also, I, I think Zola in some ways unconsciously was like a coming out party and, and not, not that I believed it to be a coming out party because I always believed myself to be black. I think for some people it was their way of going like, oh, thank God. Okay, so you're aware that you are black. You know, like somehow mm. I hadn't been black before, but now that I was. Well, I think what's so interesting is that you you recognize that film and storytelling, um, you know, we're inviting people to project their shit on literally onto us. And you're inviting a lot of crazy shit with lemon. But with Zola, there was, you know, obviously you're going to get that same experience because we're black and we're making movies. But um, it really started in black culture, right? Like it started on, on black Twitter. How did the film get to you? Um, I mean, literally black, black Twitter is why I know that that film exists. You know, I'm sure just like you got all of your text, you know, all of these texting, sorry to you from like your white friends who, you know, you love, but, and mean well, but no, thank you. Um, I'm sure you similarly have like a, at least one or two black chains of like text message chains with friends where you know everything that's black and hip, right? Like you mm-hmm, must. Mm-hmm. Um, I always wonder like what's Michelle Obama's, like who's on the text group with Michelle Obama? I just want to know. Oh, like, oh don't my God. you? Don't I you do, know girl. that text like, group? Who, yes, who's on that group? They're probably, yeah, I'm not even going to say what it's I was just, thinking. It yes. feels like it's a really good group. Um, Anyways, so I have shady, I have, shady. They've, they've got to be the shadiest <laughs> people alive. I mean, you know it. Come on, like you know it. Michelle's too it. smart to not we, have shady people. Yeah, we have black mothers. We have black sisters. Like we know, we know it's just like, <laughs> so shady, um, but like, also just so fun and juicy. Uh, mm-hmm. So I have my my black girlfriends. It was in two. It was 2015, fall of 2015. I am working on something. I don't even remember what it was, but it was one of those things where like I'm on a job and then I look at my phone and my phone says I have like 125 text messages only from one group. And I'm like, Jesus. And so I (laughs) I was like, okay. And then I, it was like, they sent it and they were like, you know, screaming and reading and it was happening in real time. And they were like, oh my God. And I just was like, I'll deal with this later. And, and I remember getting in bed um, and, uh, and reading it. And before I was done, I sent it to my agents and I was like, so I don't know how this works. Like, I don't know Twitter IP, like gen, je ne sais pas, but like <laughs> figure it out because I want it. And, um, they're like, okay, great. We'll get back to you in a few days and we'll talk about it. And, and that was like my first introduction to, uh, the story. Wow. Wow. And how did, um, then what's that? Did you read it then? Did you read it in 2015? Like when it came out? Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I believe it was probably the dear white people writers group chat that brought it to my attention. Cause you know, I have a very abusive on and off again relationship with Twitter. 
Oh, oh, are you on it or not on it? I have an account on it, but I, I haven't been on it since literally said Sundance. And and I usually go on it to like promote something. And then I start reading people's comments. And uh, and then I remember how psychotic it would be for me to stay on it. <laughs> I Wait, just as a question, are people, people must be watching Dear White People more right now, right? I think they are. I mean, there was a, um, there was some study that came out maybe a week ago that said, you know, because, you know, Netflix doesn't release the numbers. So it was like an outside non-sanctioned company, but it was saying that we were up like 329% or something um, from the previous week, which might mean that like we went from two viewers to like six. I don't know, but it was, <laughs> it, it seemed was, impressive. It was you, you know. and the help. Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. Like it was, you know, I, uh, I don't know, but um, we, yeah, I think, I think they are. Um, I think they are. Why yeah. do you ask? <laughs> I, well, I guess I'm curious because I'm sure I, I, at least I saw one of these lists where like you and I are both on a list of like, you know, in the wake of racism, having just started, um, people are yes. like, listen yes. to black voices. They have something to say. And, <laughs> um, and I just woke up one day and had more followers than I used to and was like, what? Same. Same. Oh my God. <laughs> in addendum to all the new followers, there were also, uh, there were, I was also just being tagged in stuff that was making, like stressing me out a little bit. That was just like, this is a black voice. Listen to her. She needs work. Like people who I think were championing me, but they were making me uncomfortable. Cause I was like, I'm actually good. Like, don't worry about it. Like I got, I'm fine. I don't need that. Cause you feel point, you feel pointed out. I mean, I, 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 it actually was really interesting because I was feeling a little bit of, I think people underestimate the amount of complicated feelings that arise for black people when these moments in history happen, because even though it's very great that you may be recognizing this for the first time, you know, I've been recognizing it. And not only did I recognize it, but I made a movie and I made three seasons of television, like dissecting why these things happen. And, you know, I was like, but I'm supposed to get outside now during a pandemic and protest now, like now I'm supposed to do all this stuff. So I was feeling a little, and I did, but I was feeling a little, I don't know what I was feeling. And then I went back, I was like watching the show really just because I'm, I'm trying to get ready for the fourth season. And I realized, wow, we talked about this. We talked about not only the trauma of dealing with this uh, in the situation, but the conversations afterwards and how we treat the victims. And like, we literally, we have dissected this thing. You literally uh, and, walked through this in the, you plant the seed in your first season and aggressively go through it in your second. Yeah, and, and we continue that into the third and we'll conclude that in, in the fourth. But it is, it made me feel like, well, I'm at, I'm at least like proud that I made something that even though it maybe took some people a while to get the significance of, like, I'm really happy that I, I stuck to my guns and I lived through all of those times when I felt totally fucking unheard and dismissed and, you know, critics, audiences and just hateful white people on the Internet alike, you know, were just projecting their bullshit onto the work. And um I, I felt vindicated in a weird way. And I felt like, I felt like I had something to add to the moment, you know, cause I, I just feel, I think you probably feel this way too. I, I never feel like whatever I'm doing is enough. Um, so I don't know, but it made me feel good yeah. about that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 
want to hear a story about how me and this bitch here fell out? It's kind of long, but it's full of suspense. But girl, this is about you, girl. So, okay, okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What, did, what was the question? So Black about? Twitter is erupting. <laughs> you're getting your you're getting your whole life from the group group thread. You're yeah. like agents, get get it to fucking together. I want it. I want it so bad. Please let me have her. And then um, I I didn't. I didn't. I didn't get her. Um, I ended up. I mean, I don't want to say losing because losing would somehow imply that I had some kind of stakes. Like I, I was, I was literally like team amateur at the, at the, at the rally, you know, where I was like, I want it. <laughs> but at that point, like, so, you know, we're talking like studios or like, we're getting it. So I, I was like the, the least sexy name to, to be in the hat. And, and at that point it, it went away and I knew uh, one set of the producers who were involved in like the initial iteration of it and had said, you know, like if this ever, if it ever becomes available, because you know how things work too. It's like mm-hmm, they, mm-hmm. Have a, they have the people and then shit just doesn't work out. Cause like, you know, people, the business is unreliable. So um, I just I said, you know, if it ever becomes available, like I want it. And, and I have no problems with not being first choice like that. I don't, I'm not really worried about that. It, by the way, being first choice means nothing. It's about being the last choice and the best choice. Like, Correct. You know what I mean? very true. <laughs> um, and I think like when I was younger, my ego probably was affected by some shit like that, but I have been around enough and experienced enough rejection that it, it's, it just has nothing to do with that for me right now. Um, yeah. so yeah. it was, there was another director there were other producers and then it became available. Um, and actually, um, it was, it was James Franco. He was directing it and, and there've been two guys who were writing it. And then, um, Jody Smith is basically like my guardian angel. She knew that I really wanted it because I think I wait, said, pause. What? James Franco was the original director of Zola. You didn't know that? I thought you I did not. why I wasn't like saying it. And then I was like, I should just no, say it. girl, you know, I'll be skipping the deadline, uh, breaking news items. I didn't know. That's yeah. wild. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> James Franco was the original director and the two wow. writers are, um, are two white guys. Well, this all tracks for me. Um, yeah. continue. So I'm going to leave it there. And then, um, <laughs> <laughs> I, so then it became available and Jody Smith, like she knew that I wanted it. Like I had told her, I guess about it. And I really don't have a memory of this, but apparently I had told her that I wanted it and that I, you know, liked the story. And I think maybe I sent it to her and she happened to be at like some party with James, uh, I don't know, four years, three or four years. What, what year is it? 2020. So years, like, yeah. darling. it was 2017 at the beginning of 2017. And she was like, she just texts me. It's like two in the morning. And she's like, Hey, I, that film that you wanted, James isn't doing it anymore. Um, wow. and we're, we were both at UTA. He's probably still at UTA, but we were both at UTA. And I, um, wrote them like in the middle of the night, just being like, Hey, this project is available again. Like I want it, get me, get me in there. And I auditioned for it basically for about three months. Um, and, and it came to me and it wasn't an easy feat, but it was totally worth it. And I, I can, I'm, I'm, I think there's the reason I'm saying it is, is that 
and I'm sure people think this about you too. There is this idea that like you arrive at a certain position where it seems, you know, from the outside, it looks like you're very successful. And so it just seems as though like doors are constantly opening for you and that they're, that things are a breeze and that like, no, you're still working until like you're always, people are still saying no to me and people are still shutting the door in my face and I'm still not good enough for someone, you know, like somebody just this week wrote me about a job and asked like, if my IMDB was updated enough because they were a little like concerned about my credits. And I'm just like, what? Oh my God. But like, that's still going to happen is what I mean. You know, I really wanted a movie. I didn't get it. You know, I really wanted to direct this thing. I didn't get it. And that still happens. And like, you're still, you're still like wrestling, you know, you're still, it still requires a certain amount of musculature because there's still a ton of rejection. There's no, I think a handful of people get to arrive and then it's just good. But like for most of us or a lot of us, especially, you know, in this face, in this body, um, in this voice, it is still constantly, it's the reset that I was telling you about before. It's like, I still myself with a lot of people. It's not like, Oh, you directed, uh, you know, uh, Kate Blanchett and Sarah Paulson. So you mustn't be an idiot. People are still like, you're probably an idiot. I don't know why they said yes to you. Anyways, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I know what you mean. And, <laughs> and, I, and I just want you to say just a little bit more about that three month audition period, because I think um, I don't think even even aspiring directors, because I certainly didn't realize how much of that is actually the job you're trying to get a job is actually what I do for most of the year. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, it's, and I think I said it to someone recently and they like, didn't love the word audition because they, I think associated it with actors. And I was like, well, that's, I don't really know how else to say that because you're literally like, you're getting dressed for the part. You're, (laughs) I'm talking in like my whitest voice that I know how to do (laughs) You know, like I'm using my whitest voice. I'm wearing like, I'm wearing like all APC, you know, I'm wearing like a scarf in France. Like I'm literally like, Oh my God. (laughs) Traveled. She drinks orange wine. Spanish is her first language. Like I'm really putting it on. I'm really fucking putting it on. You know, it's like computer screens clean. You're bringing it to the room. You don't want them to think you're dirty. You know, it's just like, you're really, you're putting on the Ritz, so to speak. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and it was, it was an audition. It was like a, what am I wearing to that? How am I going to talk? What words am I going to use today? And like convincing a group of people for three months that I was competent and that I deserved it and that I was going to do it justice. And, and it was really, it was hard and it was painful and it was sad making. And I was just like, during this time, I what, there was like this movie I was being offered that was like just seemed so easy, like that the the film itself was just so easy. But I still I didn't want it. I wanted this, and the reason I wanted it is that it's not dissimilar from the question you asked before about about like why it's hard and and the resilience and how you just like kind of just you know, stomach through it. And my, my thinking that like, it's going to be easier for the person that comes after me. I felt like if I didn't get this movie, nobody was going to protect her narrative the way that I would. Mm. Yes. And you talked about that a little bit in an interview. Um, you know, when the Twitter thread came out, there was this idea that the story was from the ghetto and Isaiah was like, actually I'm from the suburbs. This is the, the woman, you know, who, story it's based around um 
What yeah. you know? What what version of this movie were you protecting us from? <laughs> I think that um, I, like, am I allowed to talk about that? I think um, you know. You, you can talk about it as generally as you want because I know we're in the throes. Yeah, of- I I think that there's there's a there is a when you see the film and hopefully you know you'll get to see it sooner rather than later. I, at least I hope so. Um, there there is without saying too much, there's just, there is a version of this movie not made by someone who looks like me and, and even made mm-hmm. by someone who does look like me. It's just, you know, I can say this cause you know me, the movie's fucking weird. It's weird. And I thought <laughs> the story was weird and Florida is weird. It's like really strange and it's like kind of sexy, but it's also kind of like, uh, and I just was like, it needs, it's uncomfortable. And to me, it was just so uncomfortable that it needed to be all those things. And there is the, like the titty version of it. And I say the titty version to mean that like, you know, the girls are naked, like for half of the movie and you're getting <laughs> side boob and, and butt boob and thigh boob and all the boobs. And I just am like, I know what women's body parts look like. I am not interested in that. And we all do. Our brains can fill it in. And and both of these women, both Riley and Taylor, are so incredibly sexy. It is better better to leave your imagination to do the wandering. That's it, y'all. Thank you for tuning in. If you didn't know Janixa Bravo before, you better get to know her. Stream her debut feature, Lemon, and keep an eye out for Zola when it drops, whenever Corona allows. Okay, it's time for the credits. Jason Smith, CEO of Starburns. Jessica Gutierrez, audio engineer, Judith Cargbo, production coordinator, Chris Bowers did the theme song, Dominic German did additional music, Aaliyah Jihad and Brendan Smith produce the hell of the show for Culture Machine. Talk to y'all next time. Starburns Audio, a podcast network.